Hey, welcome to, welcome to Equipers Church. It's awesome to have you here. As Ali said, uh, my name is Jono, and I get the privilege of speaking to you guys tonight. Who's excited? I'm a little bit excited. I'm a little excited. Uh, we, we're actually in the middle of a new series, right? We're, in, we're, we're starting a new series tonight, and it's going to be amazing. The series that we're starting is called God's at War. Everyone say, God's at War. But, but say war like war, like like you mean it, like you're going to go to war, right? Right, and, and, and what, <laughs> what we're talking about is, is, is we're looking at basically what are the gods in our lives, right? Well, what, what's going on in our hearts? What's controlling us? What's informing us? What's, what's competing for our heart's attention, right? Because I don't know about you, but, but I know that there are so many things going on inside my heart that want my attention. So many things inside me that, that are actually asking me to worship them. Asking me to, to give them my adoration, to give them my attention, to, to find my meaning from them. And so often in life, I know for me, I don't know if it's true for you as well, I, I accidentally end up ignoring them. And, and I think because I'm not making a decision, I'm not making a decision, but when I'm, when I'm not being aware of what I'm doing, I'm actually choosing a whole lot of things. Right? And so, so over the next five or so weeks, we want to look at the gods in our lives. Right? The gods, and really we're talking about idols. God, the God, and idols. Which ones are we treating as real? And which ones maybe are we ignoring? Which ones are we, are we not looking at? And, and we're going to start with Scripture in just a minute. But, but before we do, I want to tell you about a book. Who here enjoys reading? It's all right. If you don't enjoy reading, it's a short book, right? So, so it's, it's a book even for those of you who don't enjoy reading so much, right? It's, <laughs> it doesn't have pictures, but... Uh, if you ask Putty really nicely, he might take your copy and just draw some pictures in the, the margins. He's a good drawer. Most of them will be Super Saiyans, but that's all right, right? Like, ain't no one got nothing against Dragon Ball Z. Uh, but this book, it's called Counterfeit Gods, and it's by an author named Timothy Keller, right? And, and really what this book is looking at is, is our series. A whole lot of what we're preaching is, is ideas taken from this book. And I want you to know about this book because what we do here is awesome. Right, this is fun, this is great, and, and joining together and, and opening God's word is super important. But at the same time, we can only say so much right here. Right, we've only got like 20 or 30 minutes every Sunday night. You don't want us to go longer, trust me. Right, but, but there is so much more that God wants to say to us. And, and that's why at Equipers Church, we so strongly believe that, that being the church, being Christians, isn't just about attending on a Sunday. And that's important, but, but it's also about opening our Bibles during the week. It's about having our own relationship with God. It's about having a quiet time. And it's about reading books, even if you don't enjoy it, right? Sometimes you, you can get an audio book. That's what I do because I'm not very good at the diligence of reading, but I like listening, right? But, but it's about saying to God, God, I know there's more going on. I know that you want to say something to me, and it's seeking that out. So, so I just want to encourage you. We don't have the books here tonight, but we will next week. So feel free to buy a copy from the resource table. I think we're going to get the paperback for $25. That's just us giving it to you at cost, right? But also, if, if you don't want the paperback or you, you have something that has Kindle on it, a Kindle or an iPhone or an iPad or something, it is on Kindle for, I think, about $9. That's where I got it. And I, I like Kindle because... Kindle's already got bits underlined for you, which I don't know why, it just really, I really like it. I'm like, oh, that must be important. And I underline it as well. I add to the underlining. Right, but, but pick that up and, and have a read along with us. Is that all right? Nice. Everyone say counterfeit gods. That's the book, just in case. I think I already said that, but there you go. Right, we're going to start by reading uh, from Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 25. Do you have your Bibles here tonight? If you have your Bible, feel free to wave it at me. 
even if it's an electronic one. Electronic ones are all good. If you don't have your Bible, it's all right. We bought a screen uh, that's actually a wall, but we have a projector, and we will project the scripture on. Oh, look at that. See? Magical. It's not magic. It's technology. But we have that there with us. So read along with me, and we're going to look at Romans chapter 1, verse 21 to 25. This is uh, Paul writing a letter to the people in Rome. It says this. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out. And all this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshipped the God they made instead of the God who made them, the God we bless, the God who blesses us. What a line. They, they, they worshipped the God they made instead of the God that made them. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. And then let's get into this. God, I thank you that that we get to gather together here tonight, that we have the honor and the privilege of of coming and lifting up your name. God, we know that there are are hundreds of thousands, millions of people around the world who, who don't have this privilege. And we don't take it lightly, God. We don't take this opportunity lightly. God, I pray that we wouldn't miss this moment that we would lean in to hear what it is you're saying, God, because we know that you are always speaking. God, I pray that, that as I speak, that it's not my words that are important. It's, it's not anything that I do, God, but that you want to say something to us here tonight. So I pray that as I speak, that, that in my words, you say something to our hearts, God, that something lands in us, that inspires us, that confronts us, that, that whatever it does, that we will leave here different that we will leave here changed, that we would leave here knowing more of who you called us to be. Thank you that you love us so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Does anyone, I think there might be some verb on my voice. Can anyone hear that? It's a little bit, it's a little bit smooth, smooth. It's just a radio voice. I just have a voice for radio. Not a face for radio, face for TV, but a, a voice, voice for radio. Small TV, a TV and a TV on your TV on your on your watch. You know, look at. I think that's a person. Cool, 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 cool. Uh, I have an admission to make. Is this this is a safe space? Turn turn to your neighbour and say, I think it's a safe space. I think it, think it's a safe space. I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty comfortable. You know, I've been up here for at least five minutes so far, and I haven't even started my sermon. So I must be feeling pretty comfortable, right? I, I have an admission to make. Are you ready? You ready? Just lean in a little bit with me. Lean in. Oh, uh, I have an addiction. Yeah, I have an addiction to uh, internet shopping. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. Does anyone else here ever, ever struggle with, with internet shopping? Do we have any honest people in the house tonight? Yeah, that's right. Does anyone here ever, ever go on trade me a little bit too much, right? You, you end up on trade me and you're like, oh, how about, does, does anyone here, does anyone here? <laughs> the altar will be open, the altar will be open. Right, does, does anyone here ever struggle too much with a little uh, a website called ASOS or ASOS? I don't know how you say it because, because it's on the internet. No one read it to me, right? Anyone been on ASOS? ASOS, yeah. How about Urban Outfitters? We've got any hipsters in the house? Yeah, that's right. Nice, nice. How about, does anyone here uh, know a website called Once It? Oh, man, that is my personal, 
that is my personal addiction. Just to, uh, so you know, once it's pretty exclusive, you have to have an invitation to get on it. So if you want an invitation, I can give you one because then I get $20 credit, just saying, you know, whatever. Not that I'm plugging uh, personal gain or anything from the pulpit, but, you know, just talk to me afterwards, all right. Right, but I don't know about you, but, but online shopping can end up being so addictive, right? Especially Trade Me. Because Trade Me's got that dangerous combination of consumption and competition. Right, right, you get in that place and you see something that you think maybe you want, but really you're not sure, but you'll put a bid on it because at the price it's currently at, it's, it's a bargain. Right, so, so if your name's Peter Thompson, you, you, see, you see that boat and you think, I, I, I'll, I'll bid on that boat. Sure, it's like a ton and it's like 16 feet or something, but I'll, I'll put a bid on that boat. Or if you're me, it's some shoes, right? Yeah, no, I need some, some Nike Air Max that have been worn for like 15 years, but, uh, you know, whatever, they're, they're, they're $5, so... You know, waste not, want not, weird, consumption, need to repent. But anyway, you see, and, and you place that first bid, right? You're like, yeah, yeah, just because just there's a bargain at that amount. But then someone else comes along, and they place another bid. And you're like, well, I kind of, when I bid, I, for some reason in my mind, decided that that product was now mine. I had now purchased it. So actually, I'm going to have to place another bid because you can't steal my things. That's not all right. I have to stand up for myself. Right, so, so you place another bid, and then they place another bid, and then you place another bid, and then they place another bid, and then you put an auto bid on, right? So who knows? That's dangerous because when you place an auto bid on, you're not really bidding, but you are, right? And so auto bids and auto bids and auto bids, and, and then it starts to get personal, right? You start, you, you go to sleep at night, and you find that in your sleep, you're muttering their name. Curse you, Sammy, 119, I'll get you. I'm going to find you, Sammy119, you stole my toaster. Right? And you, and you start obsessing over it. You start this bidding war, and, and you're muttering their name, right? You're thinking, man, I'm just going to find them. You track their IP address. You show up at their house. You knock on their door. Why did you steal my toaster? No one else has done that, no? Strange. That would be why the police were so upset with me. See, what, one of my favorite stories of the perils of internet shopping is, is set in the late 1990s, and it's about this couple in New York City. And, and what happens is this couple, let's call them uh, Monica and Chandler, because there can't be anyone that lives in New York City that's not called Monica and Chandler, right? That's just how my mind works. They were the best people and friends, so that's just every New York City couple, Monica and Chandler. Right, so, so their names are Monica and Chandler, and they're living in New York, and they've just moved into a new apartment, right? And, and so they realize that, that they need to furnish this apartment. Well, they don't need to. They decide they want to, right? They're like, man, we're going to furnish this apartment. And, and so Monica, she, she decides that they need a, a dining room table to entertain people with. Not entertain them with, but at, you know. They come and they sit around it. No one's going to walk in and be like, wow, I could just stare at that dining room table all night. Two hours later, thank you for having us around to look at the dining room table. It was amazing, right? It's, it's to entertain them at, not with. And, and, and so she's a little bit, uh, she's tech savvy. And, and so she, she starts to look on the internet for a table, right? But she's finding that, that all the tables that she can find are, are either boxes or way out of their price range. There's not really anything in between. Or, or they're Ikea tables, in which case they're pretty much boxes because no one can ever assemble them, right? So, so here they are. They're looking for this table. She's looking for this table. And then one day at work, she hears about this new website called eBay. She's like, ooh, eBay. So she goes on eBay and she types on dining room tables. And up comes this beautiful table, right? The table of her dreams. It's this, it's a six-seater deep oak table, handcrafted. It's, it's beautiful, right? She's like, this table is amazing. She looks at the price. That The table is only $40. She's like, man, every other table I'm looking at is like 10 times that price. This table is, is incredible. This table is amazing. 
I, I need to hear that. She looks at it. The, the price includes free shipping. She's like, they're just giving it away. It'll be $40 shipping anyway. What's going on? So she's like, I, I just have to do it. I won't ask Chandler. And she just clicks buy. Right? Buy now. Mine. And she forgets about it. And then a, a couple of weeks later, she gets an email. Your, your package is in the mail. She's like, oh, fantastic. The table's going to show off. It's going to be amazing. And, and a week after that, she, she shows up at her apartment door, and there's a, a package waiting for her at the, the front door. But it's quite small. She's like, oh, weird. Chandler must have found eBay. He must have... Oh, he must have dimmed the lights. He must have bought something off the internet as well, right? And, and so she takes the package inside, and she's like, I'll just open it to see what it is. I'll just open it to, to have a look at, at what this thing is that Chandler got. And so she, she, she slices the box open. She, she looks inside, and, and she sees a beautiful, handcrafted, six-seater, deep oak brown table that's only about 60 centimeters long by 40 centimeters deep, Right? And, and at first, she's a little bit amused, right? Like, haha, funny joke. But then she starts to get mad. I thought this was my table. This was the table that I wanted. This was the table that I, I dreamed of. This is the table that I paid $40 for. And so she hops on eBay to send a disgruntled email, you know, as we do. And, and before she sends the email, she sees something that she didn't see the first time she looked. That, that this table wasn't listed under furniture. This, this table was listed under doll's furniture. That, that what she'd done is that she'd accidentally bought a beautiful brown oak, handcrafted, six-seater, exquisite doll's table, right? Which was great, but not really what they needed. But anyway, in, in the spirit of, you know, hey, just go with it. She sets it up just as a joke. Chandler comes home and he's like, that's a bit small to eat from, but, but whatever. And then, then their friends start coming over, and they say, hey, look at our dining room table. And everyone's like, ha, 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 so funny. And then their friends start bringing other dolls' furniture over when they come to visit, right? Like, here's a, here's a chair for your table. Here's a couch to go with your table. And before you know it, they fully furnish their apartment with dolls' furniture, which is great, but, but not that practical, right? It's awesome. It looks fantastic, but they still don't have anywhere to sit. Have you ever tried to make a wrong thing right? Have you ever... Have you ever gone to a new hairdresser's, right, and you needed a haircut, but your normal place was all booked out, and you're like, man, I need a haircut, though, like it's growing over my ears, it's looking bad, I need to give me a fresh fade, you know, no, that's all right, just me, that's fine, I don't really have a fade anymore, I realized I was white, but anyway, <laughs> right, so you go to the hairdresser's, you go to the barber's, if you're myself, and you go to get your haircut, but, but the worst thing happens, they mess it up. Right, and so you walk out of the barbers, you walk out of the hairdressers, and your hair is a mess, right? Like it's crazy, but, but you just spent a whole lot of money on your hair, right? And so, so you walk out, and you're like, well, I have two options. I can either shave it off or I can own it. And you're like, I told everyone I was getting a haircut. I'm not shaving it off. So you rock up to your friends, and they're like, um, this is a nice haircut. You're like, this is how I want it. They're like, what, like kind of uneven, and your scalp's bleeding a little? I wanted my scalp to bleed. It's the new style you don't understand. It's the ultimate fade. They fade off three layers of my skin. <laughs> right? And you try to make a wrong thing right. How about relationships? Right? How often do we do this? Right? You're dating someone, but, but you, you find out they cheated on you. Right? And your friend's like, why are you still with them? They, they, they cheated on you. Oh, yeah, but it was just once. It's not, trying to, it's, it's not going to happen again. You're trying to make a wrong thing right. Or you're dating that girl and she just won't meet your family. She won't let you hang out with your friends. You're like, yeah, but it's only been nine months. You're trying to make your wrong thing right. 
See, how often in life do we try to make a wrong thing right? See, some people get into stuff, right? They, they start going to parties. They, they start smoking a little bit of weed, and they're like, no, 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 it's just, it's just something I need to do to relax. It just helps me to get through the week. It's, it's my, my thing at the end of the week that makes it all all right. See, we're trying to make a wrong thing right. We're trying to take something that we know isn't where it should be and make it where it should be. Right, we are fully grown adults sitting around a doll's table pretending it's full-sized. Now, now, this works for me. This is all right. Now, now, it's functional. You can put your food on it, just not more, one, more than one plate at once. You can sit around it as long as you're all right with sitting on the floor. See, we take this thing that isn't right, and we try to pretend it's right for what we need. See, sometimes we can settle for less than what we need. We try to make a wrong thing right. See, see, life can so often, I don't know about you, but it can so often seem like life is all about getting our heart's desire. I don't know about you, but, but I've so often in life had an and then I'll attitude. Right? When I was at uni, when I was studying, it was, man, I just need to, to finish studying and, and then I'll be able to relax. Then when I was dating Em, it was, man, I just need to get married and, and then I'll be happy. It's something in your life you can, you can probably acknowledge you've got an and then I'll attitude. I think in this regard, I'm, I'm pretty normal. We all have this, and then, oh, most people spend most of their lives trying to make their heart's wildest dreams come true, right? It's our natural state. We just go after what we want. We go consume, 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 get what I need, get what I want, feel happy, feel sedated, right? After all, isn't that what life is all about, that the pursuit of happiness. We search endlessly for ways to acquire the things that we desire, but what if I told you here tonight? That getting your heart's desire is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. See, in life, often what happens is we find a good thing. We find something that is good, that is generally, honestly, actually good. And we take it, and it's usually the desire of our heart. Usually your heart desires a good thing. It desires something like a great job. Right, an, an awesome family, good grades, good friends, a, a great girlfriend or boyfriend. It desires a good thing, but so often what we do is we take this good thing, this desire of our heart, and we turn it into the ultimate thing. See, it's like trying to have dinner around a doll table. It's a great doll table, and it should be appreciated as such, but you can't eat dinner off it. See, what is an idol? If we're in this series about idolatry, about the gods at war within our lives, about God and idols, the things that are competing for our attention and our affection, what is an idol? An idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would lose its meaning. Its loss would not result in sorrow but despair. As you lost it, the color would drain from your world to never, ever, ever return. A sorrow without end. See, an idol is whatever you look at and you say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. If, if I have that, then I'll know I have value. If I have that, then I'll feel significant. If I have that, then I'll feel secure. My life would be all right if I could just get that. See, so often for all of us here tonight, definitely for myself, I, I realize that I'm making idols all the time. 
that if there's one thing my heart is good at, it's definitely making idols. Taking something that is good, taking something that is so often God-given. God makes us for a relationship. God, God makes us to pursue things, to, to work, to enjoy things. He, he brings joy to our heart through those things, but we take these good things and we put them in the wrong place. We make them the ultimate thing. And to be honest, it's as ridiculous as eating dinner off a doll's table. It's a good thing in the wrong place. See, so many of us, we're waiting for life to start. We're waiting to get the desires of our heart. But if we ever do, it's going to be the rudest awakening we have ever had. Because those things, they're, they're not bad, right? They're, they're so often, they're not evil. They're just too small. They just won't fill the space that we need them to fill. A great example of this is Abraham. Right, Abraham in the, in the book of Genesis, in, in chapter 12, he's called by God to leave everything he knows. He's called by God to, to leave his family and his friends and his possessions and to step out into the destiny that God has for him, and he does. Right, he makes this bold and courageous decision. And so as he steps out, God promises him that the entire world will be blessed by his family. But at that time, Abraham and his family, Abraham and Sarah, his wife, they lack children. Specifically, they lack any sons to carry on his line. And so they've stepped out there. They're waiting on God for this promise. They're in obedience, and, and they're waiting. And they wait, and they wait, and they get older and older. And having a son goes from being unlikely to impossible. See, and before we go any further... It's important to realize that Abraham's heart is so heavily invested in this idea of having a son. Right? Abraham has stepped out and, and put everything on the line for this. He's taken every chance with this. And, and so Abraham reaches the age of, of over 100, and his wife Sarah is over the age of 90. Biologically, it's impossible for them to have children. And in that moment, a, a miracle is born, and his name is Isaac. Right, finally they have a son. Finally they have this promise come to fruition. Right, and, and so here Abraham is, his whole life, all of his choices, his promise from God, everything that he's done up until this moment is hanging on the shoulders of his son Isaac. His son represents to him every chance he's taken, every step out he's made, every promise that he has. This boy means everything to Abraham. And then in, in Genesis chapter 22, God says this to Abraham, take your dear son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'll point out to you. See, in case you missed it, God tells Abraham to kill his son. God tells Abraham to take that promise, to take that thing, that precious thing to him, and to put it to death. I don't know about you, but when I read this, I get uncomfortable. When I read this, I'm not like, oh, praise God, the Bible's an awesome book. This is fantastic. I'm like, God, why the heck did you do that? What did you write? That in? This makes no sense. This isn't in line with the character of the God that I think that I know. This, this confuses me. This makes me uncomfortable. See, most of the Bible I can get, most of it I can see the message in it, the, the way behind it. But I've always struggled with this. See, to me, this is crazy. What kind of God asks a man to kill his son, let alone a son that he gave to him in the first place? So Abraham takes his son on this three-day journey. 
they arrive at this mountain, and he, and he takes his knife to kill Isaac, and he's stopped by an angel. And, and a ram is, is caught in a bush, and they kill it in Isaac's place. And to be honest, I just find the whole story confusing. It doesn't make sense. It's weird. God seems moody and, and angry and unpredictable and indecisive and fickle until we realize that God wasn't after Isaac. God didn't want Isaac's heart. It wasn't Isaac's heart he wanted offered up as a burnt sacrifice. He was after Abraham. It was Abraham's heart he wanted. He was protecting Isaac. See, God wasn't saying you cannot love your son. He wasn't saying put your son to death. He was saying that you must not turn a loved one into an idol. See, if God had not intervened, if God had not stepped in, Abraham would have certainly come to love his son more than anything in the world if he did not do so already. See, and that would have been idolatry, and all idolatry is destructive. See, Isaac is a wonderful gift to Abraham. Isaac is an amazing present to Abraham. Isaac is Abraham's destiny, but Isaac was not safe to have and to hold until Abraham was willing to put God first. See, as long as Abraham never had to choose between his son and his obedience to God, he would never realize that his love for his son was becoming idolatrous. He would never realize that Isaac was his idol. See, the whole thing behind the story is that Abraham took a journey, and only after walking up that mountain could Abraham love Isaac well. See, if, if Isaac had become the main hope and joy of Abraham's life, his father would have either over-disciplined him because he needed Isaac to be perfect. He needed him to be perfection. He needed him to be a god. Or he would have under-disciplined him because he couldn't bear his displeasure. He couldn't bear hurting him. He couldn't bear putting him through any pain. Or he would have done both. He, he would have been inordinately angry whenever Isaac made a mistake, perhaps to the point of violence. And at the same time, he would have smothered him. He would have never gave him space, never let him step out on his own. He would have ruined his son. He would have killed Isaac in the only way he could have. See, we think that God's asking for Isaac's life, but he's saving it. He's saying, Abraham, you've taken a good thing, a great thing, an amazing thing that I've given you, but it can't be the ultimate thing. Abraham, if you make Isaac your God, it will kill you and it will kill him. See, God is saving Isaac's life. See, if anyone puts a child in the place of God, it creates an idolatrous love that will smother the child and strangle the relationship because idols always enslave. See, see, Isaac's love and success would have become Abraham's only identity and joy. If anything went wrong, he would have been angry and anxious and depressed if Isaac ever failed to obey and love him, if he ever failed to be anything less than a God. And, and Isaac would have failed him because Isaac wasn't a God. Isaac was a boy. And, and anything that we put the weight of Godhood on that isn't God will fail us. It will fall short. It will hurt us. It will break us, and we will break it. See, the reason that, that, that Abraham is asking, sorry, God is asking Abraham to offer up Isaac is to protect Isaac. See, so often in life, the, the very things upon which we build our happiness, the very things that, that we look to for joy and for meaning and they turn to dust in our hands 
simply because we've built our lives on them, simply because we look to them for happiness. See, nothing can ever handle or deserve the weight of godhood. God is showing us that the human heart takes good things, good things like a successful career, like love, like material possessions, even family, and it turns them into the ultimate thing. See, tonight, as I get the band up, what have you built your happiness upon? Tonight, what is it that, that, is, that is dependent on you getting through the week? What is it that, that if it slipped away from you tomorrow, you would fall not into sorrow but despair? That, that if you're honest with yourself, your entire life has been built on this thing, continuing to be the main thing, continuing to be God. See, and it's, it's not a bad thing. So often it's not a bad thing, but it's like trying to use a dollhouse table to eat dinner off. It's not good for you or the table, right? You'll be frustrated, and eventually the table will break. See, what in your life has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and your energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought? See, that's not necessarily an idol right now, but it could become one. What is it that, that in your life is a good thing and should be treated as a good thing, but that you need to be so careful with that it doesn't become the thing, that it doesn't become the ultimate thing? See, and, and, and the, the scary thing is, is it can be anything. It can be family. It can be, it can be children. It can be a career. It can be making money. It can be achievement and critical acclaim. It can be saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances. It can be your beauty. It can be your brains. It can be a great political or social cause. It can be your morality and virtue. It can even be the church and religion. See, any good thing is in danger of becoming the ultimate thing if we don't realize that God is God. See, the reason that we're doing this series, the reason that we're ad addressing idolatry is because we never break any other commandment without first breaking the first one. Thou shalt have no gods before me. See, we, we never step out and lie. We never get angry. We, we never steal until we've broken the first commandment because if we were keeping the first commandment, if God was still truly God, we wouldn't do that thing that was going against Him. See, and, and so often in life we make mistakes, sure. You know, we, we trip over, we stuff up, and, and that's fine. But so often in life, our, our key motivation for making those mistakes is the fact that something other than God is our God. Something else is controlling us. Something else is throned in our life. See, see this tonight, what, what is your Isaac? What is your beautiful thing that you need to let be a beautiful thing? You need to let be a gift from God, a joy in your life, but you need to not smother it, not try and make it God, not try and make it the joy in your life. Let it be a joy in your life. See, this isn't about devaluing things. When, when, when we take something that's an idol and, and make it just a thing in our life again, it doesn't lose its value. It doesn't become less to us. It's just that we realize that God is more. That actually that my career is never going to bring me meaning. Actually, my popularity is never going to define me. My relationship with her is never going to bring me the joy that I need it to. 
financial security, that social cause, whatever it is, it cannot define us. It will fall short and we will ruin it and it will ruin us. See, nothing besides from God can handle the weight of Godhood. Perhaps there's something in your life at the moment that's God to you. It's an idol. And dethroning it might feel like death. It might feel like you're plunging a knife into your own heart. But God commanded Abraham not to kill Isaac, even though it looked like it at the time. But that was the only way that Isaac could live. See, sometimes when God is saving us, it feels like death. Sometimes God sees us and he says, that's gone far enough. This is too big. This is too important to you. This has become an idol. And he starts to strip it away from us and it hurts because that's where we find our meaning. That's where we find our our solace. That's where we find our joy. But tonight, we need to realize that if our life is built on idols, it will only fall over. If our happiness is built on anything but God, it will only turn to dust. See, if we're going to be a light in the city, if there is truly more to come, if we're going to do the things that we talk about, if we're going to bring change to neighborhoods that need to see change, if we're going to be a part of the answer that is desperately being asked continuously by our city, we first of all need to do some work in here. Right, and that needs to not stop us from stepping out. We need to step out. Don't wait until you're perfect because it will never happen. But we need to know that we are stepping out not in our idol strength, not in our career strength, not in our popularity strength, not in our relationship strength, but that we are stepping out in the strength of God, that we can turn to Him and say, God, I'm doing this in you, so I need your help. Because if you turn to your career and say, I'm doing this in you, I need your help, you're going to be left asking. If you turn to your relationships and say, I'm doing this in your strength, I need your help, you're going to be left questioning. The only thing that I can tell you you should build your life upon is God because it's the only thing I know won't fail you.